1: Welcome to Autism Live. I'm Shannon Penrod and you can see that with me, I have the fabulous Evelyn Kung. We're very excited to be here with you live on this Wednesday morning. We're coming to you from remote locations, not in the studio. Uh, lots of things here at the start of the show that I, that I wanna um, say and um, first and foremost, I, I wanna say a very happy birthday to our good friend, Joanne Lara. And I want to wish uh, her the happiest birthday. And I want to encourage everyone who can hear this broadcast. If you're friends with Joanne and you're a praying kind of person, she could use our prayers right now. Joanne is in the hospital and gravely ill and it is her birthday. And we want her to feel love and to know that we love her and um, how much she means to us. So please, if you know, say a prayer, send a, send a card or a, you know, we've asked for close friends to make videos. People whose kids have benefited from her over the many years that she has worked with kids to please send her video messages um, via her Facebook. Um, she is not able to talk on the phone, but she we understand that she is still receiving those messages and that it um, I'm sure it lifts her heart to know how much we all care. So I want to say that. I also want to continue to say here on the show that. Um, you know, there's a lot of things going on in the world right now. And um, as, as a white woman, I have always, always um, believed in Black Lives Matter. Um, and there was always in a course. It was always in a course at the end of my sentence. And um, I have come to see that that is not useful. Um, that I need to be speaking that out um, and saying that, and we want to offer our support to the protesters um, to say enough is enough and that we must be active allies. And so I, I want to say that for myself and from Autism Live that we have to do better and that we are committing to do better. Um, but we, the, the protesters And I think it's very important that we talk about protesters and people who are being disruptive in two entirely different categories because they are in two entirely different categories, but we are in support of the protesters. Now, having said all of that. um, We're here today to talk about autism and to give you information and inspiration and we've asked Evelyn Kung to be with us. You know that uh, on Wednesdays, many times we, most of the time, we have Dr. Doreen Grand and we love it when we have an opportunity to be here with her. And we, you know, there are times when she cannot be here with us. And Evelyn is so good to fill in and is such a wonderful expert in this field of autism. We love to take questions to her all the time. And Evelyn, we're so um, grateful that you could be with us here this morning. You've been working in this field for I think we've said it's close to 30 years. We're like, yeah. we're, like we're bumping up against uh, 30 years. And uh, I, wanna, I wanna tell you, you look beautiful and we see you gorgeously today. Thank you so much for being here. And thank you for being so diligent and being someone who has always seen individuals for who they are and the capabilities that they have and um, has always been a champion of diversity and equality. And thank you so much for being here with us this morning.
0: Oh, thank you for having me. And just for those words, I mean, all of us, are we're all people, you know, and we all deserve the same chance to do, to make progress, to do the things that we love.
1: That's absolutely right. And, and that's what we're going to continue to do today in whatever way we can we're telling people right now that um we do have questions uh that have been you know from this previous week that have been asked that we have not had a chance to answer um but we you know we like to as quickly as possible shift to live questions because we appreciate when you guys are here with us live if you have a question there's lots of ways to write it in as well as lots of ways to just watch the show and learn from what other people ask right because sometimes you don't even know the question to ask and then somebody asks the question and you start hearing words you've never heard before and you go hey wait a second what's that we were on a call last night and somebody was asking a question about scripting and somebody else in the call said please can you back that train up a second I'd like to know what you're talking about because that thing you're describing is exactly what my kid is doing but I've never heard that term before so don't be afraid to ask questions and don't be afraid to just hang out and hear what what's going on I want you to know that Uh, While Evelyn is a wonderful expert in the field of autism, there is no expert who could give individual specific advice in this particular format because they don't have eyes on the situation and the individual and the individuals in the situation. right? So um, let's not be mistaken about that. It would be a disservice to act as if they could give individual specific advice, but What is great is that when you pose a question, then we get to take a tour of, you know, uh, what Evelyn knows. (laughs) And that's always a wonderful thing. Um, And hopefully she will give you information that will help you to uh, be able to ask the experts in your area uh, who have eyes on the situation, and you will get wherever you need to get to faster and more efficiently. And we uh, totally appreciate that. So. I wanted to jump in with a question um, that we didn't get to the other day, uh, Evelyn. Uh, would like to know how to deal with limited receptive language. And, and we, t- we talk on the show all the time about receptive and expressive language, but maybe you wanna start and give everybody a refresher course so that, cause I used to always confuse these two. I'd be in an IEP and they would say this and I would go, somebody just stick a, a, a railroad spike in my head. Which one is which again, uh, right? took me years before I would go, oh, okay, I know what receptive language is. So go ahead, Evelyn.
0: I think depending on the child of your age, you shouldn't worry so much about, uh, it it just varies according to what level of understanding. But essentially receptive language is the language that you hear. Someone gives instructions and I'm following them. That means that I understand receptively what someone else is saying a child demonstrates, like, um, an inability or inconsistent responses, a lot of times the first thing to rule out is the non-compliant aspect, is a lot of times when we give instructions to kids, it's not for preferred activity. (laughs) And if it's not so preferred, and even now, if my kids come to me and say, hey, you know, I need food or something like that, and I know they can do it, I my receptive language may not be so good. <laughs> and I, and that's more of a part of non-compliance. So you have to test this out first. If you are offering, if you start giving them or talking to them or putting instructions about all their favorite things and they're able to respond, but when you're telling them to come here, put on their shoes, hurry up and get in the car, um, go to the bath, which they hate, and they're not doing it, it, there's a fine line between what is them just choosing not to do it and them not understanding what it means. So if you're talking about receptive language understanding, um, there there are a group of kids that have auditory processing issues, which means they hear correctly, but maybe as the way the words process through their brain, it processes a different way. And we've seen it in many of our kids where parents will come in and say, wow the tree cutter is like you know four blocks away and we can't hear it but our kid immediately you know starts to stops what they're doing and seems very distracted and then after if we wait a few minutes um the sound of the car or whatever it is coming down the street we hear it and then when the car is gone the kid's back again so they so there are kids that we have i think that i think they hear She froze. A frequency that is different from <laughs> and And um, so there is that aspect, but I think that's the same with speech. We have many kids where we have speech therapists will give them auditory processing tests, assessments. And we realize, oh, wow, they hear all the sounds except for the glottal stop sounds. So they don't hear the, the Gs, the Gs, the, th- the sounds made back here. Or maybe they, they hear all the sounds except for the voiceless sounds. The p- and the H, they don't hear. So just think about what language sounds like if you're missing certain sounds in terms of processing. And maybe they're not even missing them, but maybe it's just delayed the processing.
1: Thank you but- for saying that, because that's a very, and you know, it's kind of like when you're on Zoom and when things <laughs> stick and you're trying to piece it together and like, sometimes you can do it and sometimes you lose the gist of it. And, and I, you know, it's, it's, I, I find it interesting, Evelyn, that you started talking about, um, like be sure it's not a non-compliance thing because I have selective hearing too. There are things that when I don't wanna hear it, I don't attend to it, right? Um, but I will say that in the classroom, I'm often so disheartened by the fact that teachers assume, that if they've given like a direction to a child and they don't immediately respond they they infer from that 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 is non-compliance and often it's exactly what you're saying right now that they're on a little bit of a delay or that or that they cannot hear the sounds that are being said and decipher them with any speed at all and then then somebody goes on to the next direction and they haven't been able to decipher what the first instruction is and they tune out at a certain point because they're like, I'm not getting it. It's like me at a conference where they're using jargon. Uh, I'll try to hang. And when they get to like eight jargon words in a sentence, I go, I'm going to bake mental cookies. Um, and our kids do too. So thank you for bringing that up. I'm, and I'm sorry, I interrupted. You go right ahead.
0: No, but see, there's just so many considerations before jumping to there's something wrong with their receptive language that they don't okay. have it. There's just a lot of assumptions. And there are some kids who receptively, it is one of the hardest things to teach. Um, And these kids don't have typical development. We've had kids who talk before they hear. And how does that work? (laughs) But it happens. In typical development, that does not happen. You hear first, then you do, you know, you're able to do. But I have to say that there are, um, it's a small group, but it's common enough where I say there's a group where there are some kids who completely talk with no problem, but they the receptive end, there is something that the understanding isn't there when we're teaching it. But that said, many of our kids also have really strong visual memory. And a lot of our kids, actually all of us, we all tend more towards is visual memory better or auditory memory better. When we, some people have to close their eyes and hear something before, they understand. And some people have to like plug their ears and understand. And our kids are exactly the same way. But what I've seen is a lot of times when kids do have some receptive language delay, they start depending on their visual memory a lot more. And I don't know if it's a coincidence or if it's how their brain made or just consequence. I have no idea. But there are a whole group of our kids who the minute they see something, they know all about it. And those are the kids who are the visual learners. Those are the kids who a lot of times love the alphabet can read, have hyperlexia, which is um, learning to read before anyone's taught them to read. You know, they can see it in a sight word, they can see the word and memorize it right away and know that that word is cookie, you know, because that's their favorite word or <laughs> their favorite food. And they're two years old and no one's ever taught them. But, um, you know, the first parent that had hyper, that had a kid with hyperlexia, the first kid that I worked with was, mom um, had Sesame Street on TV and had turned down the volume because she was on the phone. And her kid was nonverbal and was sitting there reading all the words as they flashed. <laughs> Ball, jump, like he just knew all the words. And she was like freaking out completely because her child had never said one word before. But in this circumstance, he was a visual learner and, and he had some auditory processing delays that we realized later. But that visual memory just kind of took over everything. So when he was learning language, we always gave a textual prompt for everything because it just went a lot faster as his receptive language was developing and getting better. And he was learning how to process information that was coming in auditorily. So, you know, don't jump to those delays. A lot of times, um, if your child does have some type of auditory delay, that we have been able to find ways to compensate. But that, you know, and, and in a school setting, what that would mean is, instructions always have to be written down for your child it's not going to be just depending on you know the teacher giving that um, vocal instruction in front of everybody for them to know because maybe your child if there was a day delay they missed it but in your IEP there should be this accommodation that all their work has to have this component of textual um, visual information being given to them so that they're not falling behind.
1: So if you don't know what it is, at this point in time, all you see is that your child's receptive language doesn't seem to be, it sounds like you got to lean into your experts a little bit, that you got to talk to your BCBA, see what they're noticing, perhaps talk to the pediatrician uh, to see what they're doing. But it sounds like too, Evelyn, that um, I I love the phonemic awareness um, part of skills. Uh, which is in the academic curriculum. It sounds like that might be something worthwhile to look at if your child is is not demonstrating uh, receptive. Am I am I barking up a wrong tree here? Well, it's good if it, it, it. I think it helps the the person that's
0: not doesn't know hasn't been educated in all this organize it because the phonemic awareness breaks it down into all the different sounds and you can kind of follow just to check.
1: Yeah, yeah. And for people who don't know, so that skills for well, the autism. First things- Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, we're one stuck. of the
0: first things I talk to parents about is when you're talking, use short words, phrases. Don't talk too much. Your child's learning a language and if you talk too much and you put me somewhere and you're talking another language, I tune out. It's like what you were saying. But if you start to shorten your language to phrases or just to one word, and you'll see a lot of times the kids start to because suddenly they realize, Oh, I know what that means. You said that word. I've heard that word before. And sometimes just shortening um, how you talk to your child. And it it might sound rude from the outside, but for your child, that might be the beginning of just like slowing down your language, um, speaking in short sentences and short words, phrases. We teach our families that a lot right at the beginning of when they start ABA and it's a big difference. You know, it's just that the bunch of when you don't know what sounds mean and there's a lot of sound, you just tune out so if you shorten the amount of sound and noise that's coming in a lot of times suddenly the kids start to be more receptively aware
1: wonderful uh we've had a bunch of comments that have come in uh somebody who said my heart is just broken it breaks my heart that my kiddos have to grow up in a world like this right now i just want to remind everybody that tomorrow on the show we've got two amazing guests uh yadira calderon is going to be here she's mom and an autism advocate and um, she's going to be talking about grief and using art to process feelings and grief and i think that's going to be really good for everyone and then um we're also having courtney tarbox on the show to talk about an upcoming webinar that she's doing about acceptance commitment therapy with kiddos on the autism spectrum to help them to deal with fear and anxiety and their feelings and what's important to them and i think um, you know, I really want to hear more about this webinar. Uh, Somebody else says this show, excuse me, my thing just jumped, this show helps so much. Uh, My computer is having all kinds of hairy canary things today. We just love that, don't we? Uh, This show helps so many people and I'm great, so grateful for you all. Thank you, we're grateful for you too. Maya says, hi, I'm happy to be back. We're happy that you're back too. Um, Nikki says, my son is having an issue accepting that this summer there will be no amusement park rides or carnivals, etc. Any suggestions how I can help him understand um, the closure for now? He is extremely anxious about going to the boardwalk uh, amusement rides. He hits himself when I try to calmly say it's closed until further notice and she goes on to say is it possible to give more time for the webinar so helpful love it if you could give us more time i do want to make you aware of the fact that you know we are we're live with you 5 hours a week and then we play the marathon of whatever we did um, throughout the week uh, all weekend long and that there are nine almost 9 years of videos for you to go through I, there is you know i would love to be here more but we've done research on how much you guys can handle to the point where you go, yeah, I can't I can't watch anymore. Um, tell me what it is that you're wanting more of and let me see if I can hook you up with that. But let's talk about the, because a lot of the kiddos are, and, and I believe if I'm not mistaken, that this is an older kiddo. Um, they're, they're having a hard time with it, but we're having a hard time with it too, aren't we? If we all just admitted that and started from there, um, you know, we, we are being told, you know, you don't get to do the things that you want to do. And, and I'm watching some adults having some very hard time dealing with that. Um, at, you know, and so I, I, th- I think we have to start there when we're talking about our kiddos having emotions about it, Ev, but you help us because you know much more about this.
0: Well, I mean, this is a unique time. It's not like any of us have ever been able to have ever been quarantined. You know, this is the first time in our country where we, so many things have been closed. So this is a unique time for all of us and the adjustment periods. The one thing to go back to for all our, of our kids is you a concrete um, system because that's what our kiddos get. That's what our patients, our you know, children, um, they are, you know, our adults too that are on the spectrum. You go back to the idea that they need structure. And I don't know if your child knows what a calendar is, the calendar often, pre, um, it's often a hard concept for time, but if you go through it every day, so if you have a, a calendar that shows 12 months and you're able to X out all the days that they've closed up to and going and the thing is sometimes you have to go backwards because you might have to go to the last time they went to the amusement park. And a lot of times the calendars is what represents um, when something's going to happen so
1: if If she wants you to know ev he's hyperlexic and he keeps asking her for a calendar date
0: yep so what happens is you can take the dates from the boardwalks and universal studios and disneyland and they've x'd out to where they know (laughs) so that whiteboard with the calendar you can have it all x'd out where they know and then so he can let's say they exit out through the end of august and september you don't know you just leave it blank because that's his hope
1: i see
0: go away (laughs) and the thing is if they change it you can just go in and and redo it that's why the whiteboard calendars are really great is okay you can go in and um do it that way and at least he'll know okay so july and august are off And that is going to relieve some of his anxiety it won't relieve all his anxiety because he just still doesn't know when it's going to open and but we don't know either. Yeah,
1: Yeah. it's rough and you know I mean, um, this is something my family watches very closely. um, Because my my husband is employed at one of the larger amusement parks here um, as a, a union actor so we watch very closely and. Um, here in Los Angeles, there is no definitive date of when anybody is reopening, right? Um, but so I love the idea of we know for sure there are dates they aren't opening and to put the X's there, but not definitively say they're going to open on this day. But other places in the world, they are opening. They are in the process of opening. So it, it, you know I don't, I don't know where you are. Um, But it might be worthwhile to check on a regular basis to see what announcements have been given about uh, boardwalks opening, but openings are imminent in places, you know, there are things opening right now in Florida. Um, So it may, you may not have to wait the entire summer, depending on where you are. Um, And she says it's really hard here. Um, And, and. I don't know, Ev, I just like, I, I know that sometimes it's just like, if somebody is that fixated on something, that's all there is. But my my thing that I'm wondering is, if, is there an activity that can be started that has to do with uh, amusement parks and things that whether it's an art project where he writes a book about on the day that he goes back and he illustrates it or, or you know, I, I know um, a young man who's, who built, a, a small, but a, a roller coaster in his backyard, like an adult size roller coaster. It was just 20 feet long, but it went up and it went down. You know what I'm saying? So,
0: yeah, there are activities. So, the question I think for this mom, and actually for all the adults that I work with, is when, we're ch- when I look at an adult more, um, I look to see what, is, what leisure activity do they have? because this is the reason why you want to kind of build a big uh, source of different types of leisure activity because not everything is going to always be available all the time. And usually it's swimming pools, you know? <laughs> like if you're in if you're in living, if you live on the east coast and your kid loves swimming, we look to see if there's an indoor one that you can get to, but even then you can't depend on it to be available. Yeah. So one of the things I would say for this mom is this is the time to start building other interests, other leisure activity interests. And if you're able, you need to figure out the function of why he loves those roller coasters. You know, is it the sensory aspect? Because if it's a sensory aspect, then you're gonna be thinking about what other types of sensory um, activities would bring that type, same stimulation. And there's not, enough, there's not a lot that can repl- replicate the vestibular aspect of a roller coaster, but, there are a few things. Like for some of our kids, they love like um, a steep escalator, at, you know, like at Universal, <laughs> those steep escalators. I know people who love just riding them, and that's enough for it. Um, but even then, I whether it's open or not. But I would try to figure out what other activities out there that would provide that same kind of sensory, if that's what he's loving. It could be that he loves the shape of the roller coaster. And he can knows exactly what to expect. There's a game on the computer where you can build your own roller coaster. So you could have him go in there and build all the roller coasters he's ever been on, and all the different amusement parts and boardwalks, <laughs> and you know all of that. There's a new game on. I don't know what um, what system it's on right now, but my kids were just talking about it. Is where you can build. Um, it's like an urban planning.
1: Right, it's it's like a sim sim amusement park.
0: Yeah, you can build an amusement park, and um, you could if he loves just aspect, he can go build his amusement park <laughs> that he loves all the different ones that he likes and the types of roller coasters are on it and you know all that aspect. So try to figure out like what aspect he really misses, and then see if any of these things take you know writing about what he likes at the um, amusement parks is great, creating a book and putting some visuals in there. So maybe he'll go find pictures and put it together. And that's what, you know, that's one form of doing it. It could be all these things because nothing is going to replicate going, you know, completely itself. But you can do all these other things that give him some aspect of interest and where he can kind of direct his interest, his highly preferred interest.
1: I would also say, too, there's a lot of things online right now. There are virtual, like you can get the virtual glasses and you can take existing um, uh, theme park rides with those glasses. You can like um, people over the years have recorded so many things at Disneyland and other parks. If you put in the name of the park into YouTube, you will find videos of every show that there is. I mean, you know, it's it's there. Um, we, had a, so, yeah.
0: we had a supervisor who was part of Extreme Roller Coaster Club mm. online on YouTube and one of our kids loved roller coasters and found a roller coaster of her riding one yeah. and streaming. I mean, it was amazing that he found it. But yeah, there is a YouTube channel just for roller coaster rides.
1: And, and every other amusement park thing. Um, and then there are all the Wii games that are the the like the the boardwalk um, the like where you throw the arrow. They have them on on Wii. I can't think what the name of that game is, but there's an interactive video game that I don't know looks and feels like it to me. It's not the same as it's not the same. It's not the same as being outdoors, but it might be something. Um, okay, I want to move on to another question here. Uh, my son has a tendency to pick his nose with his indexes. Many times during an hour, how can we help to make him stop uh, besides telling him to stop?
0: You have to think about the function. This is where you need your BCBA to help you figure out the function. Is he doing it for attention? Is he doing it because something's stuck up there? Is he doing it because it feels good now or, you know, maybe after the fact, if something's stuck there that they have to get out. Um, there's a so this is where I would say you want to do a functional assessment to figure out what it is. Sometimes um what it might have it always happens like after the cold season where there's a lot of drippy noses and a lot of kids will start picking their noses. And then it's just and then it turns into a habit when you let it go too long. So if it's turning into a habit, um That's a different way of targeting it because it's giving him other things to do with his finger. But the thing is, if there is something like if he is a congested kid, if he's a kid that just has lots of sinus issues, I would say this is where you're going to go to your doctor and see how you can clean out his sinus system so that whatever's there isn't bothering him anymore. And sometimes it's the use of nasal sprays, which I hate, but they're effective and your kid. I hate it at the beginning but it might be worth it work with your bcba to learn how to use it learn how to clean out his system and so that it removes the need to want to pick his nose because a lot of time we see this a lot post winter post cold season the kids all like start um, picking their noses but then once that season's over and they stop picking being so drippy and everything a lot of times it does stop so i would go in and see like what is the need that he's having You know, has it turned into a habit already or is it, is
1: it just really bothering him? Yeah. And take care of that. But I think, you know, I hope people realize that sometimes when you guys write in a question and and our experts say to you, well, we need to know what the function of the behavior is. Um, And I think sometimes you guys are like, oh, that doesn't help me. But, but I want you to understand why she's saying that, because if he's doing it, let's say he's doing it because he's bored and he doesn't have anything else to do. And you give him a nasal spray, that's not going to (laughs) help. It's it's not going to. You're going to now have medicated him, and he's still going to be bored, and he's still going to stick his finger up there. If he's doing it because he he wants to get your attention and have you go stop that, don't put your finger up your nose, then the nasal spray isn't going to help either. (laughs) <laughs> right? So, but the, 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 truth is is the reason why our experts say know what the function is, because if they know what the function is, then there is an intervention that will be effective at and some take more time than other, but there will be something that's effective. But if you dink around with the wrong one, you're just going to make it worse. That's why you need to know what the function is. It's like, you know, you're going to go in and fix something, but first you have to know what it is that you're fixing. Does that make sense? I hope people get it. It's not just a you know a phrase. Well, we need to know what the function of the behavior is. It's like well, if we know what's going on, then we'll know what to do to intervene. And there are many different things that would intervene. It just it's just you have got to pick the pick the right intervention to go with the right thing that's going on. Um, so I hope everybody gets that. Did I tell me if I said anything that wasn't true, Evelyn? <laughs> no,
0: nope. everything you said was
1: true. You just oh. you really want to find out. A lot
0: of times, just teaching them how to use a Kleenex, though, actually works, too. Um, but the thing is, if you're going to teach it, it's your fing- your finger's always with you. A, a Kleenex is not.
1: Yeah. If you're going
0: to teach them how to use a Kleenex, you have to be next to him all the time with a box of Kleenex. Yeah. <laughs> so that every opportunity is using the Kleenex.
1: There you go. Uh, okay, and uh, Gary says, thank you for this great discussion. Yes, because what you wanted to talk about today was burgers, <laughs> I know. That's what we want to do here. Uh, okay, uh, so back when you were talking about using fewer words, uh, they want to know how many words would you recommend? Is it pretty much depend on the child and, and the functioning level? When you're it using- the- on
0: the, Yeah, it de- depends on the kid. If it's a brand new kid and it's, um, you know, a young child, even older child, if they don't have any language, if they've had no demonstration of language, I actually tell the parents to go down to one word. And once that, you start to see when the parents go down to one word and not saying the child's name all the time, because we tend to say, Charlie, are you listening? Charlie, come here, come here. And you also want to stop yourself from re, re, um, just repeating the same instruction in a series. So it's like, Charlie, 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 come here, come here, come here, come here. Because we used to laugh because there were so many kids, I can't even t- tell you where the kids would come sometimes and not come when they'd say come here. And then we figured out that the kid would only come if, <laughs> if the parent said, Charlie, come here, come here, come here three times in a row. <laughs>
1: It's that Sheldon thing where he has to knock on the door and, and go, are you there? Are you there? Are you there? Are you there? And, but, but our kids, did. but their kids didn't know the meaning if the
0: parent just said, come here. <laughs> they, they it's just that the parent had had this phrase that they used really often and they yeah. named it together. And it's the way I describe it is, you know, when you're young and you're learning your alphabet song and you say L-M-N-O-P and you think L-M-N-O-P is one word. Yes. <laughs> And it's the same thing I find in our population with counting for our kids. There are so many of our kids that think one, two, three is one word. (gasps) Like when I'm teaching numbers and we can't get past one or two discrimination, like touch one, touch two, give me one, give me two. I actually start with five and they learn all the numbers past three (laughs) with no problem. But it's that one, two or one, two, three that they just think is one, one word. And it's it was just paired that way for so long on so many things. Yeah. So um, a lot of times I'll just I'll just start going down to one word, and then as they start to follow, then I slowly start increasing the number of words.
1: Okay. Uh, a parent writes in and says, "I so appreciate your decision on hyperlexia. My son has been reading out loud before too, and also a self-taught pianist as well." reads music and other instruments. Uh, now verbally, verbal, thankfully for ABA and VB. Uh, please families don't give up. Thank you for that wonderful inspirational message. And they go on to say, thank you so much for everything that you do. Okay, another parent, I love this. They said, I took my son to his school to see that no one was there. He is very visual and needed that to move forward. He thought he was the only one at home sick. He understands now and we use the calendar it helps uh, and we give him goals for the week that's wonderful thank you um okay uh and they the parent says their son is 22 and they wish that they could build him a roller coaster uh and and i'm telling you this this young man built the very smallest thing but it you know um maybe you know, reach out to somebody in your community and see if they'd be willing to build him something. You know what I'm saying? Uh, Some kids are getting the Lego kits of their favorite amusement parks. I love that. Thank you for telling that. What about buying a mini pool for your backyard to see if your pool, to, or see if the pool in your community is closed somebody writes in don't you love all the support that parents are giving you uh my son loves thrift shops for vhs and dvds so we made a blockbuster in our garage for- <laughs> Woo! that's a mama uh, i love that um okay they go on to say though um that uh, somebody says a mask is a struggle but hoping Uh, that he will find a preferred activity. Uh, He will wear one, it's heartbreaking. Uh, Someone else says, sorry, came in the the middle. My granddaughter is nonverbal autistic. So so should we shorten our speech with her? And they want any advice on potty training her. Well,
0: definitely. If If anybody that's nonverbal, regardless of age, you're gonna shorten your speech. And if you can shorten it, you can just start with one word. And if they start to follow one word, then you start to move to phrases. And, you know, in typic- I, one of the instructions I always tell teachers in school is, you know, if you tell a typical kid one thing, you give a direction like come here and they don't come, teachers will change the wording <coughs> and they'll be like, come over here and changing the instruction every single time. That's what you don't want to do. You want to with the same instruction Because if the kids listening and finally you got their attention and say the same phrases or words over and over, they will start to pay attention to those words because they're familiar. Our kids love
1: routines, repetition. And that's what helps. (coughs) I'm so glad that you said that because I would assume that it was the exact opposite. Now I understand why there's so many people. What I hate more than anything in life is when you ask somebody a question and they give you an answer and you say, I don't understand. And they use the exact same words. And that's rampant in the world, but now I understand why, because some people need that. Okay. Uh, We have a question that came in that probably is more of a question for Bonnie, but I want to uh, address it really quickly. If your child is unable to learn remotely due to their capacity, can you request in-home services from the Department of Education? And the short answer is you can ask for anything the longer question and answer is will you get it and and the short answer is nobody knows right now cuz it's new rules new situation and it depends on your ch- child and what kind of a case you mount but you know i'm i'm listening to Bonnie and she's saying to parents be vocal tell them what you want you never know what you'll get it's a little like going to vegas right now and that's not necessarily a good thing but it's not necessarily a bad thing
0: definitely ask if they say no, you you're not anywhere farther behind than where you were.
1: Right. Okay. And I realized I jumped to another question. We never really got to the potty training question.
0: So potty training, I always say the first step of potty training has nothing to do with potty training. It has to do with compliance. <laughs> Tricky. If you if you want to potty train your child, I we tell our staff. Don't potty train. Um, One of the steps for readiness is: Are they compliant to just basic instructions? Will they come when you call them? Will they sit when you call them? Will they pull up their pants when you tell them? You know, really basic instructions. Because if they, if once in therapy, we give, we start with basic instructions, and part of it is yes, they need to learn this instruction, but another part of it is they need to realize, wow, when somebody says something. I have to respond. And when I respond the way they want, I get something really good, whatever that good is, that reinforcer. And when you get that child to understand that if I do something that you say, and I know I'm going to get something beneficial from it, I will do it. Because the ultimate control is with potty toilet training. (laughs) If they're not going to go, they're not going. And there's almost nothing you can do to make them go. So, uh, one of the readiness skills that has to be there is they have to be compliant. They have to be able to follow instructions and know that they will get something good for following those instructions, you know, whatever it may be, because then that will s- create motivation. And some people worry that you know, but you know this type of false motivation isn't good. I want them to go because they want to go. We're not there yet. That's another goal for another time. Initially, We're just teaching them that says, hey, if you do something and you respond, if I ask something and you respond, I'm going to give you whatever you want, whether it's related or not to, you know, your request. And once they understand that back and forth, that exchange, then you can start asking them for more difficult things. Because with toileting, it's it's a social, I mean, it's a health safety and safety issue, but really. Understand about what toileting is, you don't, it's just something you're asking them to do that you have no understanding about. It's the same way, like, why do you toss a ball? <laughs> it's a social interactive reason. It's not because you really need to toss the ball to live, you know? And so a lot of times with toileting, you just have to think if they don't understand, if whenever you're trying to teach something that they don't really understand, you have to give them some type of motivation that's external to, you know, their own. And, um, so the first thing i would say is get compliance going they need to be listening to you and understanding that hey if they listen to you they get some really good stuff and sometimes a good stuff is just a big hug from grandma and you know just the love that they get from someone and sometimes it's a cookie and sometimes it's access to an ipad game and sometimes it's juice and sometimes it's freedom to just do whatever they want um so If they understand that exchange, that is a basis from where you start doing toilet training, because they need to understand that they're, you know, they're doing something and it might be the only time I sit up. The only time I get access to a certain game on the iPad is if I'm sitting on the toilet. That's fine. (laughs) You know, we'll shape it so that it becomes more appropriate later. But initially, when you're starting with toilet training, you want to start with compliance first. And then once you get compliance down and it has to be down really, really like it has to be there firmly. It can't just be compliance to a few things. It has to be they understand if you say something they have to respond, and then that something as good is going to happen. Mm-hmm. So start there, and then after that, we've talked on the show many times about you know as and Fox, and that's a that's a curriculum, it's a book, and it's a way of toilet training children, and it works great. The only question in it is how long will it take, but it does work. If you have compliance first and then you do that, you're in a really good place.
1: And I always say Fox and Azrin. I see, I hear you saying Azrin and Fox. I, I always don't know, say, no, I, I, get, I'm, I'm... I get confused. <laughs> I don't know what it is, I just wanted to make, cause I do, I say Fox and Azrin. And it's Fox with two X's and Azrin A-Z-R-I-N. I always want to put an H in, but there is no H. Um, and I want to point out that in this instance, it's in this instance, it's Grandpa. I didn't say that when I told you, but it's Grandpa who's written in, and we love that. They love hugs from Grandpa too. Um, and uh, we have lots of videos. We actually have a big video that we're getting ready to release in the next couple of weeks. That's a big um, discussion about potty training. But it's the thing that I always love to tell um, caregivers is that they they have figured it out. So the anxiety that you have about it, will this child ever be potty trained? I I just want to tell you, they have figured it out. Your child will be potty trained. Um, So take a breath and do the things that Evelyn suggested you do now. You don't really have to wait in today. I know you want to be at the place where you're done, but it's coming if, and there there is a system that Fox and Azrin system, and if you follow it and if you're working with professionals, it's going to happen. Um, so that for me as a, as a parent and as a caregiver, it's like, okay, if I know it's going to happen, it's a lot easier. And by the way, um, you know, I've had a lot of experts on the show, uh, over uh, many different years. And I always like sort of test that with them and go, you know, is it everybody can you get, like, if you've been able to get everybody potty trained and I've heard the stories of being able to potty train somebody who is 45 years old and has never been potty trained. Right, um, I, I've I've heard the stories of kids who are, you know are have the most challenges, and that they've been able to potty train them. So I feel confident in saying to you that your granddaughter is going to get potty trained. Um, uh, but take it slowly. Um, and and the one thing that you know you were saying about that compliance piece that I want to make sure that everybody gets because it's the part that we don't hear, which is that what what the individual learns is that when I, when I do this and you ask me to do this and I do it, that good things happen. Yep. It's not the reverse. <laughs> we have all been trained that compliance is do this. And if you don't, I'm going to punish you. And I'm going to talk to you. You don't have to listen to me when I say, guilty as charged. I do this all the time, but that is not the ticket. The The ticket is what Evelyn said, which is, what I'm teaching you is that when I ask you to do something and you do it, good things happen, mm-hmm. not the other way. Um, anything you want to say about that, Ev? Ab? No, nope, I just can't emphasize
0: compliance is just really the core of it. Because you can't, there's no, toileting is one of the things where the, the person themselves has full control. <laughs>
1: yeah. But I want to encourage people, if you want to know more about getting compliance and the right kind of compliance, right? Because everybody gets so nervous about the compliance piece. But the compliance piece where your child is making a decision to do what you've asked them to do because they know and trust you. um, And, you know, because we get all about the compliance piece, right? If you want to know the right way to do it, I really want to encourage you to go over to iBehavioralTraining.com. It probably will cost you somewhere between seven and $15 to be able to rent the video course that you can watch and everybody on the team can watch and you can discuss it and, you know, and do all these things, but you will learn the compliance piece and how to do it in the right way. Uh, Because we were all trained in our childhood and in our upbringing in the complete wrong way to get compliance. So, just something to think about. I know it's like anarchy, what I'm saying here, right? Like what, we don't know how to get compliance. No, we don't. Cause we've been taught punish, 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 punish. And if you look, the studies show that doesn't work. In fact, what works, you know, I love uh, one of our experts who says all the time up the praise you want compliance up the praise. I want to get a pillow that's crocheted with that somewhere. We, you know that song, uh, it's Fat Boy Slim that sings it. It's called Praise. And I'm sure that it's about religious things, but it's like a, a new wave disco-y kind of song. I have to praise. Um, that was our ABA song in our house. That whenever I didn't know what I was doing, I would I would remind myself, I have to pray, I have to praise him. Uh, I have to praise him like I should. And, and that's what works, is praising, praising. Do
0: you like. want a funny story quickly about yes,
1: that? Yes, yes.
0: So there's this watch and you can probably, it, it was called, a I think it was a watchminder. There There's a couple of different ones where we would use it for kids so that it would buzz in school. So every time it buzzed, they would have to look at the teacher. So,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know, their attention was away, they would go back. I actually have used it more on parents mm-hmm. and kids. Mm-hmm. And I said it, and it's usually a certain time of day and it's usually the hard time of day, you know, that four to eight period where kids start getting everybody's kind of like not in a good mood. Um, I put it on parents and I'll set it on a setting where every time it buzzes, the parents has to say something good about the child or give them some kind of reinforcement vocally. And parents hate it, but they all admit that it works because the kid is so happy because the, the parents are having to, they're regularly just delivering the positive interaction and just praise to the kid. And I always say, you can say anything. It can be anything from they did something well to, oh, you have such pretty blue eyes, <laughs> you know? It can be anything. But all the parents I've used it with say it
1: works, but it's hard. It is hard. I've used, it, I've used something like that in a classroom as a teacher. I just had a little kitchen timer, but I had a little kiddo who needed attention so often. And so even before I, my, my computer's doing all kinds of things. I hope I'm still with you guys. Um, <laughs> but, but anyway, even before I learned about ABA, I had this little timer that sat on my desk, that buzzed. it didn't go, beep, 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 but it buzzed every few minutes. And I, that would remind me to give that one kiddo praise. Yep. And it was life-changing for both of us, for me as a teacher and him as a student, his mother and I cried. Um, but you know what I mean? Cause like I ju- I would just praise him every time. And eventually I made it longer and longer. This is before ABA. So ABA kind of makes sense to me, right? All right, we've had so many questions that have come in in the last couple of minutes. I'm loving that some people are telling us um, that their pools are opening and that things are opening. Uh, somebody wrote in about mask suggestions and a lot of people wrote in with suggestions for her about trying a bandana or a gator for a few minutes at a time. Uh, the mom says he hits himself over the masks. Um, I want to continue on. Uh, somebody said the, the potty training, we just got through this with our BCBA, longest month of my life, but no accidents since. Just going to be like grown ups. I love, love, love. Says life-changing once it's done, especially in a COVID world. Hey, there's no better time than right now to work on potty training because you're at home and you're not going anywhere, hopefully. Uh, that's a good thing uh okay um my son is three years now he has asd he can speak a few words like water sit down alphabet numbers nursery rhymes but most of the time he doesn't speak anything please tell me will he be able to speak in the future he has
0: the best he has all the the basics down he's saying all the words that he loves and if you notice if he's saying his abcs and nursery rhymes—it's because he loves change. Nursery rhymes and songs and little kids and how you spell words never change, and those kids are amazing because that means they probably have they love they love like they already figured out that you know that nursery rhymes go in a certain order and they found a way to do it. So what that tells me about your child, if they were to walk in, was. That flexibility is going to be an issue. There's going to be a uh, rigidity issue, but he's also really smart because he's figured it out. So I think that, you know, definitely with a lot of ABA training, you have a lot of potential, potential to go all the way. When three and have all of those skills, if you get intensive ABA right now and 40 hours a week, and it might sound crazy, Get a good VCBA with you get some therapists in there and really focus on this for the next three, four years, maybe less. Um, and, you know, maybe he'll be in regular kindergarten. Yeah.
1: You know? And uh, I can't emphasize enough. It's like you have this moment right now where he's three and he's got words, which means he's got vocal production. And so you're in the catbird seat. And it really is gonna depend on what you, what you put yourself up to for the next couple of years. And, and I agree with Evelyn, cause my son, this was my son. You know, for a while, my son, um, he, he, I say that he was for all intents and purposes, nonverbal. He had like three words that he still said, but they weren't purposeful. They weren't to draw your attention. They weren't, you know, to label something. And I was terrified. I was absolutely terrified, but we did intensive ABA. We did exactly what Evelyn is saying. 40 hours a week for the first two years, 35 hours the second year. Um, And my son is a verbal boy getting ready to apply to college in the fall. Make make whatever changes you have to make in your life, find the best quality ABA, don't think around with people who don't know what they're doing. And unfortunately those people are out there, get the best possible quality ABA therapy, do it wholeheartedly, learn it yourself and make the people around you learn it as well, and you will never be sorry. I promise you, you will not be sorry for the time spent. It's a lot, it's not easy, but it's now, now is the moment and and literally now is the moment because you're gonna get funding to be able to do it now and you won't in two years. Um, they won't give you the kind of funding, they won't give the kind of funding to a five-year-old that they give to a three-year-old and they won't give the funding to an eight-year-old that they would give to a five-year-old. So now. Now, 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 now. Uh, she also wanted to know about how much screen time is advisable for a three-year-old, and if the uh, GFC, how the GFCF diet helps autistic kids.
0: So, I would say that if you are questioning GFCF, it doesn't help all kids. I think this goes back to where just the the core um, genetics of where autism comes from really differs. There's a lot of different genes in play and there's all different reasons and groups. There is a group probably, you know, my guess, if I had to guess would be like 30%, really, the diet really affects them. But it's, you know, one of the issues here is if you're really concerned about food and whether your child should be on a GFCF diet is I would take dairy away and wait a month and see how it goes and then introduce it back in. And if you see a change in the behavior, you know, um, if you see a change in behavior and it gets worse, then yeah, keep them off dairy. <laughs> and do the same with the gluten. Gluten, it takes six to eight weeks, I think, they said sometimes three weeks, um, before you should reintroduce it again. But I'd say that's the easiest way to figure out if your child is, you know, if it works for your child, but you have to do it cleanly where they're completely off of, you know, whatever you're removing at the time. Um, if you have a good autism biomedical person who lives near you, go, you know, go see them. You know, there are great doctors out there who really can test a lot of different things. I mean, one of the biggest issues right now, since the prevalence of autism has just increased so dramatically is everybody knows there is a genetic component or a biomedical component. So if you go get, I had a parent go see a doctor for one thing, and actually they came out with a whole list of other things that they had no clue about, um, that their child wasn't processing and you know other issues that had come on and just by addressing those issues the learning pattern for the child increased significantly but it was it was specifically for that child i can't tell you you know just in general but um just if there is somebody that's biomedical a biomedical person who specializes in kids with autism near you go and see them if this is definitely the concern because we all do know that there is the behavioral component to help um, relieve symptoms of autism. But for many, many of the kids, there's a whole biomedical component that needs to go alongside to really uh, impact the child. Because if your child is not eating like everybody, is not sleeping, just the really core things, you definitely need to start looking because your child needs to sleep. You think about how we get when we're sleep deprived, we can't pay attention, we can't remember things. Um, same thing happens to your child. Your child's not ready to learn. If your child has lots of allergies, if you talk to a neurotypical child that has lots of allergies, they can't focus in class because they're just all foggy, and you know they're not getting the best um, fed information at that point. So, if your child has any of these really just basic health issues, and figure it out with a you know with a biomedical professional and a doctor who really works with people on the spectrum, that's probably your best bet.
1: Okay, I wanna encourage people, if you have biomedical questions, best place I can send you to is to TACA, which is the Autism Community in Action. So if you go to TACANOW.org, you'll be able to find out a bunch of information about diet and a bunch of parents to talk to you about diet. While it is not effective for everyone, I can tell you for those kids that the GFCF diet, which is the gluten-free, casein-free, which is milk and, the, the protein in milk and in gluten for, for those kids that it does work, it, it's pretty amazing. Yes. My son went from not being able to learn a new word to learning up to five words a day within a couple of weeks of going on a gluten-free, casein-free diet. So um, I do think it's worthwhile to look at, to see. Uh, we've only got like two minutes and I, I just wanna squeeze in. We've got somebody says how to teach a two-year-old turn-taking any games, et cetera. Also how to get his attention. He is in a, always in his own world. Please check out our toy guides. Go to our um, website, autism-live.com. Go to the toy guide at the top. It, it has things by category and it will tell you different things. And then if you go to the blog, we have the last two-year um, toy guides as well. But there are great lessons and skills, Evelyn, to help a child. And I, and I just want this two-year-old to get a lot of help now because at two, if you can get your child caught up then you don't have to get them caught up later when they're further behind. Um, If you're two,
0: I wouldn't worry about turn-taking so much because a lot of two-year-olds can't turn-take already. (laughs) What I would focus on as a two-year-old is nonverbal imitation. If they can do what other people are doing around them and they have no language, they will blend into every social setting up until about six or seven years old. There you go. Imitate what other kids around them are doing.
1: Okay, so, um, and there are great lessons to do that uh, and skills, you can go to skills for autism. Um, And I'm sorry that we are out of time. I will take it under advisement that you're asking for more time, you guys, but today I don't have it to give nor does Evelyn. Evelyn, thank you so much. It's always so great to have you here. I so appreciate you. Uh, Thank you so much. Thank you, it was great to be here. All right, bye-bye. And then I wanna let you guys know again, tomorrow on the show, Yadira Calderon is gonna talk with us about grief and art and how we can use art for to help our children to express their feelings. And then we've got Courtney Tarbox to talk about an upcoming, upcoming webinar about acceptance commitment therapy with our kids with ASD. That's gonna be amazing. I'm looking forward to that. And on Friday, we have Let's Talk Autism with Shannon and Nancy. Nancy uh, Allspot Jackson will be here. And of course, Uh, the wonderful self-advocate speaker and uh, all-around great guy, Tom Island, will be here to talk about some things that he wants the world to know about uh, being on the spectrum um, during this COVID pandemic and other things happening in the world. So uh, we'll be back here tomorrow. Until then, give your kiddos a hug from me and one for you too. Bye-bye for now.